The Trek Files, Season 7, Episode 22, Letter to Bob Justman, June 4th, 1987. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Hey, Star Trek fans, all you Star Trek historians out there. Yeah, yeah. You can and east as I say that lovingly. Hey. And yes, even you tech heads out there. Um, have a fascinating part two to our earlier discussion here about Susan Oliver. And yes, we have got uh, George Pappy back with us, who, among many other things, wrote and directed, created a documentary about Susan Oliver. Of course, we know her as the actress that played Vina in The Cage, Star Trek's first pilot. Um, it's right around the time of the anniversary here of shooting The Cage, but uh, Vina is timeless and Susan is timeless. So listen, we've got another document that has nothing to do with Vina and the cage, but it's Susan and Star Trek. So take a look over at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash the Trek files. That's where our documents are always housed. Meanwhile, here's a verbal sample of that letter. Then stick around and I'll be right back with George for another windup of Susan Oliver's great story. Take a listen. Dear Bob, Pursuant to our conversation, I'm enclosing a copy of M.A.S.H. directed by Susan Oliver. Needless to say, Miss Oliver has a great desire to work with her longtime friend, Gene Roddenberry. Yes, Trekophile spelled with an F. We're talking about Susan Oliver and directing. Now, that's a puzzle. That's a part of her life I'm not sure about. I didn't know about, really. But, uh, George, come on in here. Thanks for joining us again, George. Um, I know you did the Susan Oliver biography documentary. But tell us about this interesting bit here about Susan Oliver directing, much less she's pitching to uh, to Star Trek, early Next Generation. Yes. By the way, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. Um, yeah. Well, it's, it's one of the fascinating things about Susan. In addition to being this very prolific actress and also an accomplished um, light plane pilot, by the way, uh, she kind of by, I would say, the mid-1970s kind of decided she didn't want to keep acting. Plus, I think the, the window was closing for her. Uh, she was getting she's committing the cardinal sin of being an actress who was getting older. Right. It was really right. bad for actresses back then. And she wanted um, to direct. It's going to be another 15, 20 years before she could play the grandmother exactly. matron role. Exactly. So what do you do between now yeah. and then to keep the bills paid? Yeah. Right. And uh, and uh, Nancy Malone, of all people, who did direct some Star Trek in the later years, um, she um, said, yeah, for all of us, it was like we were getting there's only so many ways you can make here's your coffee, honey, um, sound interesting, which is about the only roles you're getting at that point. Well, she yeah. did something very interesting, which then Nancy followed in her footsteps the following year. Susan was part of the very first class of the directing workshop for women at the American Film Institute in 1974. I believe she was in that class with, among others, Kathleen Nolan and... Uh, and uh, Maya Angelou, of all people. And... Wow. Uh, and what was the actress who played the wife in um, Shampoo? Lee Grant. So, I mean, there was it was quite a pedigree, the, the group that was in that. <laughs> yeah. So she did her short film, as they all did there. Um, and uh, 
believe it or not, even with all that, it took her another seven, seven and a half years to get her first television directing opportunity. Was that bad? Gary Conway says in my documentary, Gary Conway from Land of the Giants and Burke's Law, he said it was almost like a woman wanting to play professional football in the 60s. It was mm-hmm. just so unheard of and ridiculous, in air quotes. Not Obviously, it's not ridiculous, but they thought of it that way. So she- it's, it's one thing for this workshop training ground to be on the cutting edge and do that, but it's a quite another thing to convince the entire industry, okay, time for women directors, long overdue, right. and you run into this stone wall. She did. She, she absolutely did, because even with all these legs up that I just described, it takes her seven and a half years to get a chance to direct an episode of mash i think we probably have alan alda to thank for that there were only about five women directed in all those years of mash and she was one of the five she did the last the first episode of the last season the one that focused on nurse kelly which is like a perfect story for her to do and Mm -hmm. was received very well and then she got her next opportunity um probably the following year on trapper john md uh uh fred glicksman and uh I can't remember the other producer, but the two of them, Glixman and Don Brinkley was the other. She'd she'd been in many shows that they'd produced and written for over her career as an actress. So she got a leg up. She was the first woman to direct on that show. That was five seasons in. And I've been told by people, several people in the cast, including Charles Seibert, who went on to direct. He directed a lot of Xena Warrior Princess, by the way. So he cut his teeth directing on that show while he was an actor on that show. And and they've all confirmed the same thing for me. Uh, she walked onto a very hostile set. In fact, Gregory Harrison told me this. Um, he was one of the major get, major stars of that show. He told me this about five years ago. He said, Pernell Roberts, who was the star of the show, was just awful on guest stars and guest directors. And they treated her very badly. It was a pretty pedestrian, kind of lame script, I would almost say. It was not received well. And somehow this all became her fault. And uh, it was not. It was not. I mean, I, I Seabird said it is there's no way she could have possibly done anything to alter the way the show was shot five years in with a crew that shot the last hundred episodes and actors that can do these roles in their sleep. Um, it was just but she got saddled with, oh, yeah, she directed that bad episode of Trapper John. So I find it very interesting that that letter where she's trying a well, few years later to direct. Yeah, uh, I've, I'm just trying to I'm trying to set a time here. So she comes out. The You said it was so many years before she finally got to her chance at MASH, which was a pretty positive yes. experience. And that was her, 80. Right? That was 80, 82. She 82. Mm-hmm. End of 83. She does the Trapper John, which I think airs in 84, early 84. And then she saddled with this bad reputation. She had a good reputation based on the mash. She had a great reputation, mm-hmm. but then then this this trapper John saddled her. A few years later, Next Gen comes out, and she's trying to get a role. I find it very interesting that the agent is hawking the mash episode and not mentioning the trapper John episode. <laughs> but that it was so unfair, you know. Yeah. It, yeah. But it, well, and as we know, that uh, she's yeah, she's still in the game, and she's got other parts of her. She's got other aspects of her life going on here, and I and I hope we can touch on that in just a second. But look at this; it's June '87. Uh, the word has gotten out now that they've cast Next Generation. We've had the the, the think tank stage. They've written the pilot. They're casting, um, and they're going to be shooting that summer to premiere that fall. But here's her agent jumping in 
Uh, and you know, the, you'd think that she and her agent had a conversation where she's like, "Oh, look, they're doing a Star Trek. Let's, you know, we've been trying for four years now to get me another directing gig. Maybe, you know, my old buddy Gene. You know, you know, lightning can strike twice. The beginning of his first series, now the beginning of this series." And, you know, maybe we can strike something here and have it. Now, we've got obviously she never directed for Next Generation or any other Star Trek. So nothing happened and we don't have a reply, you know, or if it just it just came in the mail slot and it, and it was never answered. But it's interesting that she, at least through here, whether she was actively doing it or thought she would just jump here on the off chance that, you know, the connection might work again. Did she, did she talk about this at all in her memoirs or? She doesn't, but other people do. Um, and the, the word was she, the response back was you lack the necessary special effects background to direct on this show. And that was mm-hmm. the final word. And Nancy Malone talked about this in my documentary. Now, Nancy was doing a few shows later. It wasn't, it was a next gen. It was, uh, I think it was Voyager. Um, mm-hmm. and she said, yeah, I, I, that they would like that, but Nancy knew how to play the game. And it was a few years later and, she says, that's why you have a special effects director who, and she, I would play dumb and say, you know what you're doing to walk me through this. And, and it makes them feel important, but they weren't, we weren't quite there in 1987, apparently. Um, and it's funny, you look at all, even I got a response back from the, the actress who played Dr. Crusher. Um, she said, I didn't get a chance to do mine till like the last season. Right. Everyone, everyone else, every other man on that show got to do one. And I had a lot of theater directing background. They didn't have most of them. And I still couldn't get one till after every one of them had done all the directing they wanted to do on the show. There was just a real bias against women. Gates's uh, Gates's chance to direct, Gates McFadden's chance to direct came notoriously late yes. in the system. Yes. Yeah, Nancy Malone, you're talking about, directed on Voyager. Yes. All right, it was Voyager. Seasons. All right, I knew it was okay. Right, Sorry right, right. That. So further on down the line. Yeah. So I think it's because they 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 really did. St- and it's a shame that Susan died of cancer in 1990. I think if she could have hung in and, and been alive mm-hmm. in the 90s, she would have got a chance. But she would have been able to ride that wave of Hollywood yeah. finally starting to come yeah, around. But yeah, but she was a little yeah. too early, and that's a lot of years of uphill fighting with literally nothing coming back mm-hmm. your way. You know, it really and again, just three years after this is going down. So yeah. by third, fourth season of next gen, but she did have other things going on in her life. What, what else was she doing? You'd mentioned that she was a pilot and flying. She got very fanatical about flying. And this was really, I, she was just starting it when she had shot the cage uh, and got very fanatical about it. Flew a solo flight across the Atlantic in 67 that got some publicity. Uh, was the first woman to ever fly the Learjet. So she continued flying into the mid 70s. I think though, sadly, she sold her plane and just gave up on the whole thing and threw it every egg in in the in the I want a direct basket by the mid 70s and mm. like i said that ended up being a pretty uphill very little reward battle for her and then she i think from then on she would just act as need be to pay bills and keep the sag benefits coming the screen actors guild benefits and uh I don't think it was really something she was doing for the, there was talk that she was going to head back to Broadway around 1990, 89, 90, and try and rediscover a joy for acting just for the sake of acting. That's when she got cancer, unfortunately, and, and didn't really get a chance to do that. Yeah, in her later years, I'm looking here. She was uh, in Magnum P.I., Murder, She Wrote. The same kind of Britain, it was Simon and Simon, uh, a, a short-lived series called Our House Drama. 
and then a horror anthology called Freddy's Nightmares. But she, it was the same kind of material she had done early in her life. It was just all over the place, not all over the place, but just showed off her range that she still still had even in her, in her later years. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, her last, the, the, you know, cancer is never a great story. Uh, and she, but she was a, a little. She had friends, but she was pretty much alone, right, in her later years. Yeah, and I think actually that's a characteristic for all throughout, more than more than people realize. Kathleen Nolan told me that she they were close in the early '60s, and she said yeah. Susan was the kind of person you could spend every day with for a month, and then suddenly she just disappeared. And I and people have said to me, and I think it's probably true, and maybe true of a lot of actors, she actually was an introvert. Um, she could play outward, mm-hmm. but but they you know introverts they need that alone time. <laughs> Sometimes they need a lot of it. <laughs> and I think maybe it explains why she was like no big deal flying alone in a little plane over the Atlantic. <laughs> you know, I mean it kind of fits her. You know. Yeah, yeah. But as far as as far as Susan in Star Trek, you say she did she did embrace her time as Vena. Did she aside from those early New York or that one early New York City convention? As fandom, you know, exploded into the into the seventies uh, and the eighties, even even before Next Generation, because that would have been in her in her twilight years there, especially when she had the cancer diagnosis. But did she do more conventions at all? I think she did a, she, a, a handful, maybe. It's possible. I'm not aware specifically. The one thing I do know is that there was a big thing right around the time of Next Gen. Um, Paramount had for Star Trek uh, at Paramount because Yvonne Craig sent me an email said they were both at that and they were they were both kind of off on the side in the periphery because they were they were these two actresses that had been on TOS um, and they weren't like big name, you know, and then they weren't regular. Like legacy actresses, which yeah. today would be just an anathema. Oh, are you kidding? These are classic, right, right. you know, classic See, TV actresses all over the place. I bet we're talking about the... Um, the 30th anniversary yeah. clan back, the big party they threw on the lot. That sounds uh, to like kind it. of Right, just before they announced Next Generation the, in 1986. the way Yvonne right. describes it, they were just kind of off on the periphery and not, no one was mm-hmm. really talking to them. They weren't really talking much to anybody. But it's that's the shame, is I think if Susan, again, not only if she'd lived into the 90s, she would have gotten to direct. I think she would have gotten into the really industrialized era of conventions and the whole convention culture and people that would really want to meet her and get her signed autograph and that kind of stuff. And she missed out on that. It really hadn't gotten there yet by the time she died. Yeah, she had a few more years beyond, say, what Gene Kuhn had, who preceded. That's her, true. You know, yeah, no. they didn't work together unless they worked on other shows together, but uh, other series. But he's another one that died far too soon. Seventy-three. I the, think he died in seventy-three. Right. Yeah. Right, 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 and you know, missed out on that rebirth, and she she glimpsed a little bit of it. Yeah. But, uh, but wow, what a legacy she left behind. And uh, I want to make sure and let everybody know that if they want to catch her life and see, uh, at her childhood, she had a single mother raising her and. And, and took her name as her stage name. But um, The Green Girl is available out there to stream, right? Yeah, I think at this point it's Amazon Prime. They well, Actually, it's not on Prime to watch for free anymore. you got to pay a couple dollars to watch it, or you can get the DVD with the commentary. I heard it was on Pluto TV. I'm not sure if it still is. It, it would be free there if you get Pluto TV, if it's still on. But it's out there. Yeah. You can find it. And you've got some really good people as uh, talking heads for it. Oh yeah, I got I got forty <laughs> different people, and I, yeah, I 
just a lot. Lee Merriweather is one of one of the people on their land. Nancy Malone, who I mentioned, I, mm -hmm. I you know, Kathleen Nolan, uh, Gary right, Conway. Right. Uh, yeah, a lot of people. <laughs> a lot of people you. from Star Trek. Oh, from, you are yeah. on there. What are, you're like the first person. In fact, you're the I, very first person people. I see. think I'm the first person talking. Anyway, <laughs> it's a but it's a wonderful uh, it's a wonderful glimpse, and you rescued so much footage of all of her different roles to show her range. That's that may be the most amazing part of the whole of the whole uh, the whole documentary. Anyway, George, it's so great. You know, it's again we finding these documents about Susan. Um, everybody knows the cage, but talking about her, this this letter is an entree into her stab at trying to direct, even on Star Trek and being turned down. Sadly, you know, typical of the era, but um, for her, uh, you know, a tragedy that she could have spent those last years uh, really giving us a lot of her gifts from all those years, T taking that acting talent that she had, even as introvert and uh, giving it to us on a larger platform. But anyway, thanks for sharing that. Thanks for sharing The Green Girl with us and thanks for visiting The Trek Files today. Well, thank you, it's my pleasure. The Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. All of our documents and your chance to comment are available at facebook.com slash the Trek Files. Now, for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek and Portal 47, uh, that's me, at LarryNemichek.com. Now, that's where you can link in for all of our new Trek Files swag and shirts at our Tee Public shop, too. Trek well, everybody. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.rottenberry.com.